Welcome back. I'm Danny Torres, host of the Talking 21 podcast, part of the Our Esquina Podcast Network. Growing up in New York City, baseball was the only game I really loved. I played sandlock baseball in the South Bronx, and every weekend I couldn't wait to go outside, grab my wooden bat and glove, and literally play baseball till sundown. Oh, until I heard my mommy yell from our apartment window, Daniel, sube arriba. Daniel, come upstairs. My response was always, wait, wait, pleading for some extra time. But when I heard my father's voice bellowing those exact words, I knew I better get my Puerto Rican butt upstairs immediately. Although our next guest was born in South Carolina, he's a bona fide New Yorker through and through. He grew up in the Tilden Housing Projects in Brooklyn, New York. Yet, Willie Randolph accomplished something extraordinary. In 1972, prior to graduating from high school, he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. His formative years were in the Instructional Rookie League in Bradenton, Florida. Randolph would briefly cross path with his new franchisee's most revered veteran, Roberto Clemente. Willie saw Clemente in the batting cage from afar during what would have been the Great One's final spring training before his untimely passing. Randolph's playing career lasted 18 years and his coaching career lasted over two decades. This six-time All-Star would go on to win six World Series rings, two as a player and four as a coach for one iconic franchise, the New York Yankees. But while recording this podcast, I had a huge smile on my face because I knew deep down inside, Willie grew up a Mets fan. Randolph played with the Mets in his final season as a player in 1992. Then in 2004, he was named the first African-American manager in New York Mets history. He even wore number 12, and I found out that it wasn't Clemente's number in reverse. It was because of his favorite player, his childhood idol, Ken Boswell, a member of that team that went on to win the 1969 World Series title. So here is the first installment of the two-part Talking 21 podcast conversation with World Series champion and former Mets manager, Willie Randolph. Besides our love for the game of baseball, we actually have something in common. You grew up in the Tilden uh, housing projects. I grew up in Webster Avenue in the South Bronx. But most importantly, a connection that I believe you and I truly have, and I've been very, very fortunate, our beloved parents. And I'd like for our listeners to hear that story from South Carolina, a young Willie Randolph eventually coming to Brooklyn with those beloved parents. Well, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to honor my folks. Um, uh, they're both gone now, but they're always in my heart, obviously. But um, I was actually born in a little town called Hollow Hill, South Carolina. It's about 60 miles from Charleston, uh, about you know, 50 miles from Columbia, little small towns. Matter of fact, Brett Gardner is from there. Brett Gardner, his dad lives maybe two miles from where I bought my mama house. But we grew up in, in a place called Sugar Hill. Uh, it's a small suburbs of Holly Hill right there. 
And uh, we moved to New York when I was like, Danny, we must have been about, I was about six years, I mean, six months old. So I was very, very young. So we would come home. Uh, we lived in, in Brooklyn, in Brownsville, Brooklyn. We would go back and forth to visit my grandmother every year. But actually, everyone knows me as a New Yorker because obviously I went to school there. I grew up there. But my parents were um, uh, real Southerners, uh, old school. Uh, they actually were sharecroppers. You know, uh, my grandfather was a slave. Uh, you know, the generations evolved to where my mother and father weren't, you know, considered slaves at the time, but they were doing hard labor, like picking cotton. I remember very vividly, Danny, uh, that um, uh, my earlier years when I would go back and forth from New York to South Carolina, uh, I remember there was a huge field across the street from where I lived. Uh, we grew up in a really like a wooden uh, shack, really, basically very poor, very poverty stricken. And it was a big, big cotton field across the street. And one of my earliest memories of being or growing up in that area at times was this huge field. And I remember my mother uh, walking across the street. Uh, it was close, so she didn't have to go driving, but she had a big, one of those crooked sacks, one of those big sacks, she would flip it on her shoulder, cotton from sun up to sun down. And I remember so vividly seeing her come home, you know, she would come home every once in a while to get a drink of water, have some lunch. But I remember those, those, those memories of just her working really hard along with my dad in those cotton fields. And so we grew up with that history. The reason why we gravitated to New York was for a better life for my brother and my sisters and my mother and father to get better job opportunities. But they would always go back because that's where they were, they were, their foundation was. And that's where my grandmother and grandfather lived. So that's where I started. Willie Randolph. God is great. He's blessed me to be able to live and make my, my family very proud. Love you guys. I want to thank my mom, Minnie. We used to go to Prospect Park and play ball, and she was always there for us, mom. I love you for that. And my pops, Daddy-O, you up there, man? I know you're looking down. You taught me. You taught me the meaning of hard work and work ethic. He didn't hit a fastball. He did teach me how to turn it over play. But he taught me how to get up every day and work hard. And that's the biggest gift you could ever give me. Love you, pops. I actually was born on the floor in that wooden shack. We did, they didn't wow. have, you know, we, we couldn't, uh, they didn't have hospitals, we had hospitals, but man, we were like 60 miles from Charleston. And back then, you know, we didn't have the transportation. So they had what they called midwives. I don't know if you know, if know what that is, but they're basically nurses that were, when you got, went into labor, they would call them, they would rush over to the house. The, the women would get all these, you know, hot water and stuff and have all this utensils, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, sterilized and they would put sheets on the floor. I was literally born on the floor. So I was not born in the hospital, you know, wow. <laughs> that's true. If that's people, powerful. Well, I mean, that's powerful. What do you mean you weren't born in a hospital? No, no, no. I was born on a wooden floor, and and you know they had everything laid out for me or whatever. But that's how I got started in this world, man. Thinking that right now, Willie, so many years later, uh, a very huge moment in your life. You were drafted by a major league baseball team, and there's a possibility that our listeners have no clue that you were drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1972. So here it is, born in South Carolina, eventually get to Brooklyn, New York. You were drafted not by a New York team, which would have been great. Certainly you have the New York connection, but you were drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. But what was the reaction from your parents that their son was going to be in the big leagues? Oh, it, it was surreal. Uh, actually, you know, my dad, you know, ironically, wasn't a baseball fan. I went, you know, most is when they grow up as kids, you know, they say, well, you know, your dad taught you how to throw a curveball or how to hit a fastball. My dad was just a hard working construction guy, 
that's where I got my talent from is his work ethic. He showed me that every day you get up in the morning, you know, you, you know, you get your lunch pail, you go out there. He was a heavy construction worker, so he came home every day covered in cement. And that was in, in, in Brooklyn, Willie? In Brooklyn? Excuse me? In Brooklyn, your dad, no, he worked. No, he's all over New York. All over. Okay. He sometimes if they're working on building a building in the city, all over the metropolitan area. So he would get on and get his car and just go all over New York or whatever. But I just remember vividly as a youngster, me coming home from playing baseball, and he would come walking in ready to take a shower and get something to eat and do it again. So I learned that from my dad. My mom was more the typical mom that would take all to the baseball games, the sandwiches and everything, the bologna sandwiches and the juice. So she was always there for me. So they were obviously static. I mean, listen, I mean, growing up in a tough area that I grew up in in Brownsville, you know, you don't ever think you're going to really get out of that. You know, we love baseball. If it wasn't for the Latino community, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now because all the teams that sponsored our teams, whether it was softball, baseball, football, or a lot of the uh, Spanish bodegas, you know, yes. Puerto, Puerto Ricans during that generation. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Ernesto uh, 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 Muniz uh, restaurant, uh, 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 Jimmy's grocery store. They were yeah. That you. was on the back of your jersey. I remember yes, those days. Yes. So if it wasn't for, you know, that community, that love of baseball, you know, that's how I got my real tutoring. I played with guys who were older than me. A lot of these Latin brothers taught me how to play the game. Uh, there was a guy named Galileo Gonzalez, uh, an old school dude in the neighborhood just said, hey, you guys want to play ball? You want to stop running around the street, getting into fights and, and, and all that kind of stuff? Meet me down in, in Prospect Park or meet me down in Seaview Park and we play baseball. So that's how I got my first upbringing. And those were the people that, along with my parents, who gave me the opportunity. Back to your original question, um, really kind of weird because you know, we were we were kind of poor, so I got a five thousand dollar bonus. I thought I was. I said, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, and and I and I was shortchanged, Danny. I really was because I didn't really know how good I was. I wasn't a high draft pick, but I wasn't going to haggle over money. I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to be in the big league. So when 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 Dutch Deutsch, who passed away, uh, a very famous uh, pirate scout, pirate scout, yeah, up there with Howie Hake. Yes, yeah, he was long. He wasn't as big as Howie, but he was long that era of, of those old school, really tough scouts. So yeah. he came to Prospect Park. I was playing a baseball game. Uh, he literally took me off the field between innings to say, listen, Willie, we got this contract here. We want to sign you or whatever. You got to take it or leave it. How about pressure on that, Danny? I mean, I'm literally thinking about a career in baseball or holding out to go to college or, you know, more money. I didn't care about the money. He said $5,000. I was like, what? I said, I'm rich. I mean, I was, I'm freaking rich. You got to be crazy, you know? So I went home, told my parents about it. My dad was ecstatic. I mean, I went out and bought him a color TV. One of those uh, with that, with that bonus money? With that bonus money? Oh, man. I went out and bought them a console color TV. I was so proud of that. When I bought me my first legitimate suit, because I was getting ready to get on a plane and go to, down to the minor leagues. So I bought a nice suit from some uh, maybe Macy's or A&S grocery uh, store, something like that. I don't know where it was. But I went and bought my first suit and I put the, maybe like a little over three grand in the bank and still thought, man, I, I, all this money, I can't believe it. You know, I know that that's chump change right now, you know, but back in the day, that was good money. So that's how I got started. My parents were obviously very proud of me. My mother was the one that really kind of got me to where I was with help, help from a lot of people. And the majority of those people, Danny, that was for people from the Latino community because uh, any type of organized baseball we played back then was usually sponsored by a lot of the Spanish restaurants that were in the neighborhood. And to think, a black kid from Brownsville, Brooklyn, who actually credits the Latino neighborhood stores, commonly referred to as bodegas, that sponsored Little League teams would nurture a young Willie Randolph. That tight-knit community he grew up in 
provided a unique opportunity for this future major leaguer to play, learn, and truly love the game of baseball. You know, uh, one thing that I really wanted to ask you as well, Willie, uh, when you mentioned the draft, but certainly something else that I've never had an opportunity to visit Bradenton. But can you tell me a little bit about your first time there in 1972 to be there in Pirate City? Yeah, yeah. Excellent question. That's my first time being in a plane, okay, going down to Florida. Uh, you know, I was excited, obviously. Went down to this facility. It was like heaven. They had Pirate City was one of the first at the time of that type of facility with, with, with multiple fields. Uh, they had a, they had a, a, a kitchen there where guys could, could eat and had like a motel set up where the guys could live there in instructional league or do spring training, eat, and also go outside and play baseball. So I got there and I'm thinking, this is unbelievable to have a facility like that. So when I got down to Bradington, the first thing I noticed, Danny, was orange blossoms. It was, they were like, you know, that smell uh -huh. when you go to Bradington, uh -huh. orange blossoms, yeah, sure. the capital of, I think, I think Tropicana is, is located in Bradenton. But I just noticed, the first thing I noticed when I got off the plane, it smelled that just so strong with orange blossoms. It was a smell. To this day, when, I, when I'm when i in that kind of climate or, or, or environment, I, it just brings back memories like crazy. So here I am, a kid, you know, from home for the first time, really. Got homesick after about a week or so, you know, but, but it, I was just ecstatic. But to be able to be on a field where it's nice and manicured, you got beautiful fences, you got all these scouts watching you, I was, I was in heaven. It was like a dream come true, man. But that was my first time being away from home and the first time you're getting a taste of organized baseball. And, 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 and to finish that story in a way, what happened was that I, I did well in school enough to graduate. I actually did not graduate. Went down to Bradenton, got started for like two weeks working out. I came back home and graduated and then went back. So my so teacher you, gave me the kind of, <laughs> good, you know, you're good, you know, you, you know, you know, congratulations or whatever. So I went down there, got started, came back a little darker because I was down there in the hot sun, got a right. little tan and came back and went back straight down to Bradenton. You know, I could just imagine, Willie, when they're saying Willie Randolph and they're giving you a diploma, they're probably thinking and saying, you know, I know you're happy you graduated. Like, I know I'm happy I graduated, but I'm going to go play for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Let me get my diploma. Let me get back down there. They were excited for me. But everyone knew, everyone knew I played all kinds of sports. I played football. I was a good football player, baseball. So they knew me as the jock, okay? So uh, when I did leave, they were happy for me when I came back. We had guys like Al Sharpton was, was, was in my class back in the day, man. Really? The Reverend Al. Reverend <laughs> Al, he was there. And uh, he was still stirring the pot and doing his thing, doing the right thing for, for the community and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, man, I came back. My teachers gave me uh, blessings. And, uh, and that's how it all started for me. We're down to Rookie League and down to Brady, Florida. I wasn't surprised to hear the excitement in Willie's voice while discussing how important minor league baseball was to his illustrious career. He also told a rather interesting story about how a former Negro League player who was an infield coach during Randolph's brief tenure with the Pirates, proving once again how impactful Negro League baseball was to the game, even though at one point in this storied history, America's pastime sadly didn't welcome them with open arms. Well, I was fortunate because the Pirates have always had a wealth of great coaches and great talent. Class organization, they always made sure the players were prepared with a great scouting system. So when I got down here, I was so lucky because the first coach that I was introduced to, and this, and this is gonna blow you away because I get goosebumps talking about it, but it was a gentleman named Gene Baker. Now I had no idea who this was. African-American man, very dignified, very smart. And he, as I found out later, I, could know, I knew he played, 
but I didn't know he was also he also played in the, in the Negro Leagues. I yeah, mean, actually, yeah, Kansas City Monarchs. Kansas City Monarchs or whatever, you know. I didn't know the impact to really understand what that was at the time. I just thought he was an excellent coach. I mean, he had me out there every day, hit me hundreds and hundreds of ground balls, talking to me about the game, how to turn a double play, you know, what to think about, how to do the fundamentals of bunting. Back then, fundamentals were very, very important, Danny. So we worked on a lot of the little things. So for me to come into the game as a young player, I was 17 years old. Uh, gave me an opportunity to work with the best in the business, but also learn the fundamentals because the Pirates were a very, very fundamentally sound team. But Gene Baker was the first guy that I met. He was my first rookie coach. And then as things times went on, I had a, a plethora of great coaches. Some of these guys you might not know of, but a guy, a guy named Chuck Cartier used to be, he's a manager to manage the uh, uh, Seattle Mariners back in the day. Chuck okay. Cartier and Napoleon with, with the Yankees, with the Pirates. But all these guys are guys that you might not know their names but they were great, excellent coaches, worked with a lot of great players and very instrumental at an early age when I was with the Pirates. Those are the guys that really got my feet wet. It's interesting that you would happen to mention, considering just this past year, we celebrated the 100th, the centennial of the Negro Leagues. And I'm going to tell you something, Willie, because immediately when, I, when you mentioned Gene Baker, I knew a little bit about him. I definitely knew he played in the Negro Leagues, but there's a little known fact that our listeners will appreciate. And there's a possibility, Willie, you might not even know this, but he was a coach under Danny Mertz on the 60s. And I believe the year was 1963 and Danny Murtaugh was ejected. And guess who had to basically get the lineup card? None other than your dear friend, the person that was instrumental in your career, Gene Baker. So think about it. 1963, I believe, is the year that he technically would have been the first African-American manager before Frank Robinson in 1975. So here it is how instrumental he was to you. He was a Negro League player. And look at the impact before Frank Robinson breaks that barrier in 1975. So here it is now. The big show has arrived for Willie Randolph. The date is July 29th, 1975. So Willie, are you ready? You were only 21 years of age. Now, your birthday, I believe, Willie, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Your birthday is July 6th. So here it is. You make your Major League debut on July 29th. You guys played the Phillies. And here it is, the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, you were playing in Three River Stadium. They beat you guys 5-1. to one. Even Art Howe was your teammate. A future Met manager, Art Howe, was your teammate. I know when he listens to this, he's going to be like, man, Danny, you really did your homework. But you this know, is where the connection – this is – no, this is the connection that's going to make you laugh. And I'm gonna, I got a little question to ask you. So here it is. There was only four hits in that game. You happen to have one of those. You were in the leadoff spot. But this is what was troubling, Willie. You made an error in that game. Willie, tell me about the error. I don't want to hear about the hit. What's up with you, man? An era in your first game. I know, man. I, I don't remember that. I, I remember, <laughs> you I sure? Mean, you sure, Willie? I don't remember. It, it was a throwing error. I just booted a ball. They had turf at the time, I know. That's true. The turf, yeah, the turf. I remember the good thing, the hit, but forgot about the error. <laughs> so, but, you know, and it's, and, and typical, typical guy in the media, right, is going to yeah. come up with something negative and say, well, what about the error? <laughs> yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you shared that with me, actually, because now I remember what happened. Because, again, I know I was nervous. I know that. So that's going to happen as a 21-year-old. But the guys made me feel really comfortable. It was my first at bat, obviously. Uh, the pitcher was a, guy, a kid named Tom Underwood, who actually I ended up playing with later on. I knew his brother also, personally. And uh, it was a fastball, and I hit it right up the middle. And that's how it got started. 
I made a round turn at first base and uh, came back to first base and I'm looking at I, I, Dick Allen. I mean, I mean, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, I mean, the great Richie Allen, he just passed away actually or whatever. Yeah, sadly, sadly, yeah. He gave me some advice. He said, hey man, don't ever let anybody play your position. Play every day, kid. Play nice going, kid. Wow. Wow. And you remember those words to this day, Willie. That's pretty powerful. Actually, it fueled me, Danny, because every year that I came to spring training, some kids, some guys take take it for granted. You know, I guess my job, I signed a big contract, I'm good. I always went to spring training knowing that I had to compete. Even when I was knew that it was my job. I played 13 years with the Yankees, ended up being the captain. But to the first year, to the last year, Danny, I always went to spring training knowing that I got to compete for my job. Don't take it for granted play every day, play hard. So every time I was hurt, I didn't play, I was miserable. So I made sure I played every day and I passed it on to the kids that I talked to. Be prepared, take care of your body, but play every day if you can. Be there for your teammates. Willie Randolph's baseball resume is quite remarkable. He was a six-time All-Star, a Silver Slugger Award winner, a Yankee captain, an astute coach, an assistant general manager, and a World Series champion. And there are six rings to prove it from his playing and coaching career. In his 18 seasons as a player in the big leagues, he would enjoy an eclectic group of managers that taught Willie the tools of the trade. These tools would serve him well when one day he received the call. Finally, being able to manage a team in his hometown of New York City. But I asked Willie, which manager impressed him the most and what impact did they have throughout his baseball journey? Yeah, well, see, that's the cool thing about it, Danny, is that I've, I've been a part of so many great managers that I've always tried to take a little bit from each and every one of them. I mean, some of the good and, and most of the good, but some of the bad also. I mean, you know, as a manager, you learn from your mistakes. So I was always very astute uh, at what was going on around me. But as a rookie, started out with Billy Martin. Now, when people ask me about managers, I mean, Listen, Billy Martin, uh, Tommy Lasorda, Tony La Russa, you know, even Jeff Torborg, Yogi Berra, Gene Michael, uh, Dick Howard. That's, that, that's a who's who. Exactly. Those are the, some of the best and different, diverse kind of uh, uh, styles, some were aggressive. You know, Joe, the great Joe Torre, and I mentioned Joe Torre, I can't forget him. He taught me how to communicate with players, have a certain demeanor around as a leader. Uh, he wasn't fiery. But getting back to Billy, uh, I always give him credit for being the guy that that really kind of um, I admire, I kind of patted my style after a little bit. Billy was very aggressive. Uh, he he took no prisoners. Uh, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of fraternizing. You know, players didn't schmooze and always hey, how you doing? You know, you know. No, we want to kick your butt. And Billy instilled that in me early. He saw me as a kind of a tough street kid, very much like him, former second baseman, just like me. And so he kind of gravitated towards me because. Um, most young players didn't do well under Billy because Billy was really hard on young players. All those years in Texas, Detroit, I heard stories about how he, he really made a lot of these young kids, you know, uh, squirm a lot. But he, for some reason, he had respect for me. You know, I played hard for him and all that worked out well. But Billy was good for me because he had this mentality, Danny, that it was us against the world. The Yankee, everyone wants to beat the Yankees, okay? They hate the Yankees and, and we had that, that legacy of always winning. So it's always that little bit of jealousy and, and being envious. But Billy was the guy that instilled that us against the world mentality. And that worked for us for a long time. We lost in 76, of course, to the Big Red Machine. But we got, we got back in 77, 78 through all that, you know, up and down losing. 
And then later on, you know, 81 was another year where, where, where we got to the promised land, but Billy taught us how to win as a team. And, um, and so I learned a lot about how to, to kind of galvanize your players. Now, when you get into guys like Dick Hauser, Joe Torre, Tony LaRusso, very cerebral. Uh, I, I understood how to use my bullpen through Tony. But the bottom line is that you try to take a little bit of all these guys and sprinkle them into what you're all about. And that's how you formulate who you are or whatever. But I like to think that I've been as blessed as anyone in the game because not only I've been around great players, but a, a, a plethora of just outstanding managers, each with their own style, their own approach. But I think that I've learned a little bit from all those guys and just being around them and playing for them. You know, there's two people that you mentioned, certainly Billy Martin, and I remember the late great, our mutual friend that I could proudly say, Doc Ellis always told me he loved Billy Martin because what Doc simply asked Billy, keep the media away from me. And Billy said, absolutely, don't worry, Doc, just do what you have to do. And you know, he was the comeback player uh, eventually when I believe when he was pitching for the Yankees, was the comeback player of that particular year. And he was a throw-in. If you remember, I was it was me, Ken Brett, and Doc Ellis for, for Doc Medich, okay? realized how good I was that I was really the guy but I was at the time thinking you know I'm going to just you know get a chance to play every day I didn't really know how good I was okay but and Doc really was a throw-in they wanted to get rid of Doc because they felt he was yeah. a troublemaker and, and, and I think it was mutual too Willie I think it was one of those things Willie he was starting to see that they were looking to put him in a bullpen he wanted to start so I think it was kind of mutual yeah it was, it was mutual in a lot of ways but but no one expected him to win 15 games no 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 way no way that, that was no way. huge for us because if, if anything, you know, you could get 10 games out of him or whatever, but, and, and Ken Brick did a nice job in the bullpen. So really it was a situation where, you know, Doc and I came over there very kind of unassuming in a way, but we were obviously very instrumental in the success of that first year. Um, there is a possibility, Willie, that, uh, well, let's put it to this way. Let me say a possibility, but there are some listeners out there. Certainly they know your resume. But there's one part of it that I'd like to hear the story behind it. Here it is that in 1993, you were an assistant general manager. And Willie, I'm going to throw you now the utmost praise. Were you the one that brought Lee Smith, a future Hall of Famer, to the New York Yankees in 1993? I mean, let's be honest, Willie. Tell me that that happened on your watch. Come on, we can take credit right now. I, I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. And I love Lee Smith, man. But no, no, I had nothing to do with that. You know, it's really interesting. The assistant general manager thing was just kind of, to me, the kind of uh, see if you like this. Because I, I retired in 92, okay? I came back I came back full circle with the Mets, okay? And... Uh, and Mr. Steinbrenner, who always took care of me, you know, George gets a bad rap about a lot of stuff. But one thing about, I love about Mr. Steinbrenner, God bless him, is that he was very loyal, okay? And if you went out and played hard for his team and put championships on the table and didn't make excuses, he would give you the shirt off his back. So, you know, I always give, a lot of guys didn't like George, but I always give George credit because he believed in Willie Randolph. So at the end of the season, when I had a meeting with George, called me up, he said, well, you know, uh, what do you feel like doing? I said, well, you know, right now I want to take a little break or whatever, but I like to kind of get involved in, behind the scenes later on, whether it's front office or coaching or whatever. He goes, okay, well, uh, why don't you take a, a couple months off because the season was over. And uh, during the season, you'll hang out with Gene Michael and just watch games and see if you like being the general manager, kind of kick around, do a little evaluating and stuff like that and, and observe and make out reports. So I said, okay, fine, it's cool. So working with Gene was great because I mean, I had Gene as a coach, as a general manager. Gene Michaels was the architect of all those great teams, as you know. So, um, so I did that 
from July to the end of the season. Now, the end of the season is over now, okay? The season ended so-so. So I had another meeting with George. He goes, okay, what do you think? Did you like it? I go, well, I said, really, George? I said, I'm 37, 38 years old. I still have a lot of energy. I still feel like I can still play because I probably could have played another year or two if I really want to play backup, but I didn't want to do that at the time. Hey, so hey Willie, let's, let's, give it, let's give credit where credit's due. Without a doubt, I looked at your numbers and towards the tail end, wrapping up your career at the Mets, you were still kicking butt. So without question, you were like Clemente, who played sadly up to uh, his 30th birthday, but you were still playing exceptionally well. Yes, I could have played. And, and I had one of my best years the year before with Milwaukee in 1991. I came in third in the league in hitting. So you're right. I got better. I learned how to hit the breaking ball. I got smarter. And so, I, but I had injuries. I had my knees were getting bad. I had a couple of about three surgeries on my knee. So it wasn't really? on the which one, Which one, Willie, right or left? I, got, I had two knee surgeries on my right and one on my left. And my game was speed. So even though I, was, I averaged 30 stolen bases for a few years in my early in my career, towards the end, I could still run, but it was hard to get up every day, swelling. I had to get cortisone shots, knee drain. So I could have probably played a little longer, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to get in the way of the kids. I, I, I was fortunate to play 17 and a half years, long run. I, I felt good about it. So I said, you know what, let me just ride off to the sunset. But, um, but, but, I, but, but when George asked me about what I wanted to do after 93, I said, you know what, George, I, I'm not ready for a suit and tie and all that stuff. And I, I want to get back into coaching and teaching, maybe managing. So he said, okay, fine. He said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I like to try third base. I was a good third base, uh, a good base runner. So let me go down and try to do that. So he said, okay, go down to Florida, you know, get a little crash course. Trey Hillman was the coach of our instructional league at the time. So I went down there Trey, never coached third base in my life. And I had two months of just getting out there and learning the craft, okay? At the end of the two months, I was looking pretty good. I said, okay, I got the instincts are there. I was able to get into the right position because third base coaching is not as easy as people think. It's a tough job. You have to really know your work, you know, know the speed of the runner, the arm angles, the situation of the game, angles. So there's so many things you have to learn. So I got a crash course on that. Now I have to find out if Mr. Showalter wants me to be part of the staff because I'm a believer that you don't just throw yourself on a manager. I'm an old school guy that feels like if you want me to be a coach, I'll be there, but I don't want to be pushed on you. So I went to Mr. Show Walter, who was a young manager. I got his blessings, and, and that's when it started for me. So uh, I went back in on the field, and that probably was the best thing I ever did as far as the baseball field after my career because when you think about it, uh, I could have retired in 93 and said, okay, I'm going to lay around for a while and not do this and do that. But getting back on the field right away gave me the opportunity to be a part of all those great, great teams with the core four Jeter from 96, to when I got the manager's job with the Mets, I got an extra four or five rings in that in that time span. So, you know, God was good, always good. And I was able to uh, get in that situation and grow. And I think in my mind, he became one of the better third base coaches in the game. Uh, so um, it, it was a great, great experience for me, but that's how that evolved after my playing career was over. Assistant general manager thing was nice. I learned a lot, Danny, but I really wanted to be on the field and teach and hopefully run into people like Derek Jeter, which I was lucky enough to do. You know, you mentioned something that immediately popped into my mind. I think, sadly, that just doesn't happen in today's baseball. I could literally say to someone who is now, meaning looking from afar, before being given the job of a manager in today's game, I think, listening to you, why doesn't that particular possibility of a future manager start off on either third base or first base? You're on the field. You're learning, like you said, the craft, situational baseball, as opposed to your career's over. 
You don't even get down to the minor leagues to kind of hone your craft down there and immediately, oh, this guy can be a manager. And I really believe that, that maybe just listening to you, I think that was very helpful for you to be a third base uh, coach for quite some time, kind of building yourself up to eventually uh, be at the, the helm of a major league franchise, which happened to be the New York Mets. So here it is, uh, the number that you would end up wearing, number 12, which immediately when I thought about that, Willie, I said, is Willie paying homage to Clemente, 21 in reverse. But it was actually a former Mets infielder by the name of Ken Boswell. But talking about Clemente, if we could put that with all due respect to Ken Boswell, what do you recall going to Shea Stadium and seeing Clemente up close from the upper deck there at uh, in a box seat there, mezzanine at Shea Stadium, or seeing in person the great Roberto Clemente? What are your earliest recollections? When I got a chance to go to Shea, I wasn't fortunate enough to see the Pirates play, and I was always looking forward to watching the greats like Roberto Clemente. But when I did save up my allowance to go to the game, take my wife on a date, uh, it was pretty much against the Cubs and all those kind of guys. I always wanted to uh, have an opportunity to see the great Roberto Clemente play because, listen, there's nobody better. When you think about what this guy did in the game of baseball at the time, his his whole uh, the way he carried himself on the field. Forget about his talent. The talent was was there. We all knew about that. But I but I, I knew about him. I, I I kind of idolized him along with the, a lot of the other guys that I was around. But I wore number twelve because of Ken Boswell because I was used a second baseman. So uh, if I was an outfielder, I would have I gotten 21 for sure. But, uh, but no, that's the reason why I wore number 12, because of Kenny Boswell. I was a Mets fan as a kid. You know, guys like Cleon Jones, Tommy Agee. All oh, interesting guys. enough, Cleon wore number 21. Yes, that's right. That's right. But those are the cats that, that I grew up with, uh, Bud Harrelson. So that's why, and I loved, uh, you know, his style. He had a great style. So I wore number 12 for that reason. Uh, kind of continuing on the topic of Clemente. So you started your career with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1972. And sadly, that December, we know about the uh, the tragedy there off the shores of Puerto Rico. When you were part of the Pirates organization, certainly there in Pirate City, 72, 73, right before you make your major league debut in 75, what was kind of like, in essence, the um, the feeling there at Pirate City, knowing that they lost one of the greatest to ever wear a Pirates uniform. But what are your recollections? I mean, when it actually, when you heard the news, what were your recollections of Clemente's passing? Well, well going back to my early years when I uh, was around Pirate City, even though the Pirates worked out in McKechnie Field, which is maybe a few miles away, uh, every once in a while, the big boys would come over to Pirate City to work out and take batting practice. And the closest I ever got to Roberto Clemente was like little kids looking through a fence. You know, we kind of would go outside and they'd be taking batting practice and we'd be sitting in the stands and we'd get down to look and see them hit. That was the only, that's the closest I've ever got to him. Ironically, the year that he passed was the year that I was going to go into spring training and he would have been there. So obviously uh, I was so disappointed that I wasn't able to meet the great Roberto Clemente, but I just remember when it happened, just being totally shocked and just the, the mood actually in my neighborhood, because again, I grew up around a lot of Latinos and I knew a lot of people and, and you know, that, that loved him. It was just almost like a morgue, you know, you just feel like he lost someone very special. Uh, it was a tragedy, obviously, that had happened doing something that, that he's humanitarian. I mean, you know, it's just really sad when I think about it because so many people got to see greatness and, and he should have left the game the way a lot of the great ones do. I mean, obviously, he did something outstanding, did something up in people, and he's probably be remembered just as much for his humanitarian feats and based stuff on the baseball field. But on and off the field, he was the best. 
That's why I think I think that that his number should be re retired. I really do believe that. I mean, I'm, Jackie is Jackie Robinson, but I think that Roberto Clemente, because of what he did on the field, I mean that that's that goes without saying. I mean, this guy is, is you know you know his stats, well known stats, but what he did off the field, I think, mean, just as important. And for that reason alone, and being a pioneer and just being such a role model for everyone, all types of people. I think it's something that, that Major League Baseball should really look into. And I know they've been talking about it for a while, but I think that would be such a great honor for him and his family if they were to retire his number. Willie, you're a hometown champion in my book. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed the first installment of our conversation, and I'll even use a familiar Mets catchphrase. I'm sorry, Yankee fans, but I got to say it. Your career was truly amazing. Keep it locked for our part two of our conversation where we will continue our discussion with Willie Randolph about his illustrious career and of course the legacy and impact of the great Roberto Clemente Walker. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Talkin21Podcast. And yes, we're also on Facebook and YouTube. A special thank you to our co-writers and our executive producer, Ras Guevara, and to our social media manager, Senor Basil. This is your host, Danny Torres, and be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. Tune in next time for our continued conversation about the great one, Roberto Clemente Walker. <laughs>